0: Welcome into the Original Gangsters Podcast, a.k.a. the OG, back in style, bringing you true crime talk content interviews every week. I'm your host, Scott Bernstein, along with my co-host, partner in crime, the doctor, James Bugelato Come stai? <laughs> For those who understand. Grazie, grazie. Uh, hey now. Uh, So uh, we are now uh, in our second episode where we're going to be without a guest and we're going to do a pop culture potpourri. Uh, Me and Jimmy are going to chop up some uh, breaking news and some news and notes related to uh, some television and film projects that are either out in the marketplace right now or uh, in development in production or just very highly anticipated, either about to be released, recently released or will be released in the not-so-distant future. And we're going to open the show by uh, breaking some fresh Hollywood gossip. Jimmy, you ready for this?
1: Yeah, I'm excited
0: to hear what's what's going down. So uh, let's jump into this pop culture potpourri episode by talking about Black Mafia Family and the new, about-to-be-new Black Mafia Family television show on the Starz Cable Network being produced by 50 cent and all the people that were behind the show power, which was, or which is the stars network signature show, um, a, th- a fictional tale of a, of a New York drug dealer by the name of ghost and, uh, people call it the black Sopranos. And, uh, now there is a follow up to that, that is going to be based in reality and based in a story from our hometown in Detroit and uh, the rise and fall of a black mafia family aka BMF the story of the flannery brothers uh, demetrius big meat flannery and his younger brother terry southwest t flannery who rose from humble beginnings in a section of detroit that was located right under, underneath the ambassador bridge which was the uh, or which is the bridge separating the united states and canada and from those humble beginnings in the late 1980s they grew to become the biggest Urban drug conglomerate in American history. They were brought down in 2005 in the epic Operation Motor City Mafia bust. And at the time of their arrest, they had uh, outlets or franchises in 24 different states. And DEA agents and IRS agents confiscated uh, something like $300 million from bank accounts that were tied to the Flannery. Brothers. Yeah,
1: and it's just some shameless self promotion. If you want to hear more about that, Side of that from the law enforcement, we interviewed Frank Scartozzi, an earlier episode of OG. You can find it, and um, where we he he was part of the IRS angle of the investigation. Yeah, oh, he, he
0: was tracking the Treasury money. Treasury Department, right? IRS. Is that, IRS. That's, that's, yeah, IRS or, CI, which yeah, is the yeah criminal
1: investigation. The
0: IRS, uh, the part of the IRS that works very closely with DEA, FBI, and ATF. Right, and we have
1: an episode where we interviewed Meech's attorney. Um, but, which hopefully will be, that, that should be published soon. It's in the can. It's ready to yeah. go. So we've, and we've had some other BMF episodes. Yeah. We've, so check the archives. We, we've talked about this a lot.
0: And uh, yeah. they are not just legends in the American underworld. They've also become pop culture, hip-hop icons over the last 20 years. Um, there was a, a court record, uh, a filing that the U.S. government put into um put into the record in the case against Demetrius Flannery and and trying to keep him locked up and talking about his influence uh in in hip hop and his influence amongst young uh the youth of America that uh either Big Meech or the term BMF was shouted out um in top 50 billboard songs over 150 times um, over the last five years. So, you know, 150 top rap songs or hip-hop songs of the last five years uh, have uh, name-checked Big Meech or uh, BMF. And that's not counting the songs that didn't make the top 50 for for that particular week or, or year when did that come out that was th- that, that was statement? in the final that was in the filings pat uh, this past spring oh, yeah. the so spring of 2020 yeah. when uh, big Meats was was trying to get out on a covid um, compassionate release and the government was opposing it and they were talking about the influence he has over the masses. Anyway, I'm bearing the lead here. So the <laughs> BMF show is in production. It started production last month. Um, they are shooting in Atlanta and in Detroit. And I have, you know, I got uh, sources and spies and moles everywhere all around the country. <laughs> and I got tipped off uh, actually today that um, there was recently a story arc uh, for the first season of the bmf television show uh that features Eminem and will be his first acting role um since he starred in the uh the the, the breakout film the 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 smash hit eight mile back in 2002 and uh has kind of had retired the acting chops. He showed him that first uh, his first time out of the out of the shoot, and that movie uh, became, you know, it, it 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 embedded in pop culture immediately. The soundtrack went through the roof. Um, everybody around the world knew what Eight Mile was. All of a sudden, they knew it was a dividing line between the city and the suburbs in Metro Detroit.
1: When I was, the first time I traveled to Germany, this was I don't know 20 years ago, something like that. Um, I, I met some young ladies and one of them had a Detroit shirt on. And so I assumed, Oh, this is cool. Meeting someone I can relate to in Germany. Um, I think it was, we were in Koblenz. I can't remember because she had a Detroit shirt on and I was introduced myself. Oh, cool. That we can hang out. You guys are from Detroit. They weren't from Detroit. They never set foot in the United States. The only reason why they had a Detroit t-shirt was they liked 8
0: mile. Yeah, movie.
1: <laughs> so they were repping. No, every, you know?
0: uh, it's just really interesting. Post 2002, I I didn't move back into the state. I was out of the state from 98 to 2. Well, I was actually out of the state from like 95, 96 to 2007, 2008. Um and at, and post 2002, in wherever I was, I said I was from Detroit. People said 8 mile. And That's I was not... like, "No, 15 mile, bro." <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, my my students in Arizona, same thing, their
1: their primary frame of reference when I told them I was from Detroit was the film 8 Mile.
0: Yeah, so uh, I guess they've kept this under wraps, and this has not been reported in in the Hollywood trades, while almost all of the other uh, star-studded casting uh, choices uh, have been reported, but I was given the go-ahead as long as I don't name my source. But I, I talked to someone that was on uh, on set, and uh, they were in Detroit last week, and I guess uh, Marshall Mathers, a.k.a. Eminem, was in these scenes that were being shot, and that th- these scenes had something to do with White Boy Rick, who uh, we, we spoke about on our last episode, the teenage drug-dealing phenom from back in the 1980s that uh, dominated the, the press headlines here in Detroit in the... Uh, late 80s and the the kind of the poster boy for the unfairly dubbed poster boy for the drug epidemic in Detroit, an era that was very dark in our city and and, and just ravaged so much of the Motor City economy and the the Motor City real estate. And and it just was really a a final death blow that was given to the city that was already reeling from the riots 20 years before that. Well, don't forget
1: I'm going to be the the political guy here. Don't forget deindustrialization. Yeah, the big three
0: did right. a lot too. <laughs> well, they started outsourcing. The, <laughs> right, right. So out of the, right. out of the country, and right. uh, unfortunately, and and unfairly, Rick became kind of the poster boy for that uh, era. Um, but in reality, he was a creation of the U.S. government and was a bought and paid for mole for Uncle Sam, recruited out of eighth grade to infiltrate drug gangs and did it all on the government payroll and the movie or the the story was turned into a film with Matthew McConaughey that I worked on and it was also uh turned into a documentary that I executive produced that's now on Netflix and it's been trending the last couple weeks so we chatted about that last week and that was before I knew about this but I do know uh I was also the first one to report uh, a while back that Eminem had been in talks with um the 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 Rick Wershey camp the, the, the Rick, White Boy Rick's real name is Rick Worshy. Um, the Rick Worshy camp had been in talks with Eminem and his people back in the months and years after Eight Mile. That, and, it, and it, from what I could understand, Eminem had intended to do a follow-up to Eight Mile. That was going to be the White Boy Rick story, and it never happened. But there were contracts signed, and I believe there was some money exchanged. And um, Marshall was going to play Eminem. Uh, it never happened. But I heard that this story arc that he shot last week uh, has a white boy Rick angle. It doesn't make a lot of sense that a 50-year-old Eminem right now would be playing a teenage white boy Rick. Could he have even pulled that off back then? Right. I don't know. He he could have done it easier in 2003 than he could do in 2023. Yeah, right. Fair point. Um, But... yeah, so, so expect to see Eminem in the new BMF show and um, hoping that uh, this news is well-received uh, not just here in, in Detroit but uh, around the country in, in uh, Hollywood circles and and people that are interested in, in the kind of convergence between music and, and movies and film and television and uh, this me, is big news. Let me ask
1: you something, uh, if you have any insight. A lot of people were surprised that he did not, Engage in further acting And more movie projects Any ideas why? I mean to have like a a Huge hit like that and to show your acting chops With no acting experience It's pretty remarkable and a lot of people were expecting That in, in fact maybe He would just become an actor instead of Transition to acting instead of mm-hmm. music. The that didn't
0: happen. The way that a lot of musicians yeah, and Cube. rappers have done. Right, Ice right. T, Ice right. Cube, yeah, yeah, right. LL L- Ice Cool J. J. Yeah, right. Yeah, they're good all examples. right now acting. Uh, right, uh, for Ice, a long time now. Right, Ice T is 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 on, is on one of the Law and Order franchises. Ice Cube is in you know almost every movie that's released. <laughs> and um, what happened? LL Cool J is on CSI. Okay, so here's what I know. There were two projects that the m M&M and camp had set up for him um, in the years or, again, the, in the time uh, that was post 8 Mile. One was this White Boy Rick project that never happened. And then another one was the, uh, the Southpaw project that eventually went to Jake Gyllenhaal and was uh, written and, I believe, directed by Kurt Sutter the creator of Sons of Anarchy. He wanted to write a boxing story, and Eminem was working uh, at the Cronk Gym with with Manny Stewart back in the day preparing for the role. Neither of those roles came to fruition. uh, The White Boy Rick movie that was conceived back then never got off the ground, but was eventually made, you know, with the Matthew McConaughey and the um, Sony people in 2018. And then Southpaw eventually got made with Jake Gyllenhaal and um, Rachel McAdams and Forrest Whitaker. Uh, but Eminem wasn't a part of it. I believe, it, you know, it, it, his descent into drug abuse... Oh, it's right about took the same him, time. Yeah. Uh, ...took him kind of off the shelf when it came to really anything, even music wise for right. a couple years, uh, it, the music he started to put out in the mid to late two thousands w- was not very good. In my opinion, his best work is the early stuff and the stuff he's done in the last five, uh, uh, five, 10 years. But the stuff he was putting out, I would say from b- between 2003 and 2010 was in my opinion, heavily influenced by his substances and just not, And I I think it just affected every part of his life. And he didn't really have any desire to do anything other than, than kind of wallow. So, yeah. But again, that's just me playing armchair. So the time psychiatrist, I have no idea. I've read some stuff about that time in his life. He's r- rapped about it and 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 talked about it that how he was in a really bad place, addicted to pills.
1: Well, he lives around here. He could he could come in and join us yeah. in studio. <laughs>
0: We'd love to talk to him and have him clarify. It it seems like from hearing people talk that are close to Eminem and and close to his business dealings that he's he's you know the strongest he's been emotionally, physically. Uh, mentally in his whole life right now. And it's making great music and trying to get, uh, I think more diversified in in his business dealings. And uh, it just, it seems like he's gotten past a lot of his demons.
1: So let me ask you about the timeline here. Does it make sense to have a storyline where the Flannery brothers interact with white boy, Rick? See, I don't know. I I, I
0: don't, there's like going to be a flashback. This is kind of a, again, stuff that's way above my pay grade. Um, I don't know if it's a scene that they're shooting that's like a flash forward where they're talking about stuff that's happening modern day. Uh, If it's a scene where Rick was locked up and they were kind of shooting a scene where some of the Flannery guys or some of the BMF guys were with Rick while they were incarcerated. It it doesn't seem like that it could be a scene that was taking place in the 80s. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. I know that the, the, the show, BMF, uh, is going to span, you know, from the Flannerys being teenagers all the way into their arrest when they were in their thirties.
1: This is just me gandering. That might work. That might that that chronology might work. When they were teenagers, they would have. Aren't they around the same ages? Yeah, Rick? but they were just. I mean, Rick was a
0: superstar it's a different, at that point. Yeah, yeah, and no, they were a, just. Right, yeah, yeah. They were guppies.
1: No, no, that right. But they could. They could.
0: Imagine that, <laughs> yeah, that they, right. That which which we know there is some reimagining going right. on right. in the in the storylines for yeah. BMF. That I think it's from from what I can gather, it's about seventy five percent true, and then they're taking about twenty five percent, you know, some creative license, sure. creating some characters, changing some names. Yeah, that's expected. I think it's possible. One things that one thing that I postulated in my head when I was thinking about this and uh, my drive into the studio when I learned this information was maybe they have Eminem playing Rick Sr. Oh, that would be interesting. In the oh, 1980s. Yeah. yeah, And then there's another character who's a teenager playing Rick Jr. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be cool. Uh, Rick Sr. for people that don't know. Matthew McConaughey. Matthew McConaughey <laughs> played Rick Sr. in or Richard Sr. in the film and, and was, was really Rick's entry point into his relationship with the government that's gotta be it he had been a um an illegal arms dealer on the streets of detroit and had been working with uh federal and local law enforcement uh trading um information for cash and eventually had traded his son for. or they could go they could go totally like they
1: did with with ice tea and the law and order like make eminem the cop the FBI yeah, guy that right. <laughs> just go against type, go against. But I heard you know it know has I mean?
0: to do with uh, White Boy Rick and Eminem shot these series of scenes and that it will be a story arc in uh, in, in the first season of the that show. W-
1: that would be sick if he if he, if he he plays the father. Or it would be interesting to have to go against that and have him play like the, the FBI guy, one of the, F- yeah. the feds
0: that flips Rick. Right. Or it could be, a fl- like I said, it could be a flash forward where they're looking into the future and Eminem is playing Rick today. I don't know. Yeah. But uh another two interesting casting announcements um before we move on. Snoop Dogg has been cast as a regular character. He's going to play a a pastor that be, that kind of transitions from the Flannery Brothers spiritual advisor to their de facto consigliere um for the crime family they were running and um it's interesting because there are a lot of, and I think the character is also a reformed ex-con. Uh, there are a lot of, at least in terms of Detroit, there's a lot of OGs, uh, guys that were in the game in the 70s and 80s that have reinvented themselves as pastors. I know one of them uh, was Sylvester Seal Murray, who was uh, one of the the leaders of, of Young Boys Incorporated, um, is a pastor in Southfield right now and uh the canton brothers i know were were two guys that were uh big players around uh, i believe north northwest detroit what about
1: the judge that was before why that was well, like mattus was
0: bk's and Flynn. right that was more oh, street se- gangs. It was more 70s yeah right, early yeah. 70s late right. 60s right and um jimmy red freeman one of the more infamous street characters uh street figures of all time um suspected in numerous murders uh but never convicted uh is has been' uh, been free from prison for a couple of years now and is is uh running a ministry is he really yeah out of southfield we didn't talk about that in that episode we did with yeah well, I don't think i don't know I don't know if I knew it at that point
1: <laughs> with uh Sanderson yeah uh
0: no I don't think I knew it at that point
1: yeah that's interesting
0: yeah tell want talk about uh <laughs> pub that episode
1: yeah so we we had an episode with um we interviewed uh um he was an IRS Jimmy
0: Sanderson, who was a IRS CI. Yeah, right.
1: And he was, it, it, but but it's just sort of coincidental that his brother
0: was, was a bookie <laughs> for the mob. Right. He ends up getting whack. Him and what, two other associates? Yeah, or, triple, a triple homicide right, in suburban Detroit heights. in 1985, uh, allegedly ordered by the Jackaloni crew and carried out by the Murder Row crew, who was the Detroit mob's um, African-American
1: wing. Right. So, yeah, we have an episode. That was one of our earlier episodes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sanderson wrote a book about investigating his brother's homicide. And
0: uh, so Red plays a role in that story. Yes, allegedly. Allegedly. Um, so it's interesting that, that Snoop Dogg going to take on that character, but I could totally picture it. Yeah. I could picture Snoop Dogg as kind of a, a, a shady... Religious figure that has some charm to him, but it's kind of like sleazy charm. And <laughs> he's, uh, you know, he's 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 speaking the word of God, but at the same time, lying in his pockets.
1: Yeah. Oh, so so he's so that's that's the character that he's playing. He's actually going to be kind of sketchy. Not
0: not like uh, right. Okay. Interesting. He's presented as like the. Uh, at first she's presented as the spiritual advisor for the family <laughs> that the mother goes and prays to, and the dad takes the kids to church for. And then eventually kind of as the Flannery's empire begins to build and they become a big deal, he, according to what I've read, he starts to kind of ingratiate himself in, uh, all of their affairs, not just their religious affairs, but in their business affairs and becomes, uh, somewhere where they're, I think they were laundered, they're, they're laundering money through and is, uh, starting to advise them because he's also an ex-con, goes from advising them uh, in in relation to their relationship with God and then now starts to, later on in the the story arc, starts advising them on on their criminal activities. And then uh, Wood Harris, who um, plays Avon Barksdale in the film, or sorry, in the television show The Wire... Uh, one of the more iconic television crime lords of all time. Uh, Wood Harris has been cast as the Flannery's uh, mentor. Um, I believe they're going to be calling Black Pat, but in reality is based on Harold Mills, uh, a.k.a. H-Town, who uh, was the Flannery brothers' uh, mentor in the drug game.
1: Uh, Yeah, I'm looking that up. I I don't, doesn't, doesn't say this this article I'm looking at what which character what the exact character's name is
0: for who uh, for Wood Harris? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's Black Pat. Oh, okay. That's the name of the character. Oh, for sure. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yep. So, uh that's the update for uh Black Mafia Family. We're all excited about it. Um Big Meech's son, Little Meech is playing Big Meech. Uh, uh rapper Cash Doll, who's the the Cardi B of Detroit. You know the the hottest female MC in the game right now, probably in the in the whole Midwest. Uh, Cash Doll is is playing a big role. Going to play one of uh, uh, Big Meech's girlfriends. Uh, there's a character based on Steve Fishman, uh, the the superstar criminal defense attorney, who uh, walks on water with with a lot of the uh, urban underworld and is as a legend of getting people off of crazy charges a la his Houdini act when he got Frank Usher off of the triple beheading. Did he defend it? Did he defend the brothers in real life? He though? defended, he's been Terry's attorney for a long time. Terry's attorney. Oh yeah. He got Terry, uh, Steve Fishman got Terry Flannery, uh, uh, his sentence reduction. Which yeah. Led to him getting the early release. So is still looking at a 2031 outdate. Terry uh, via Fishman got that out date that was supposed to be 2031 knocked down to like 2024 or 25, so it was easier for them to let him out uh, in 2020 than it was Meech. But I digress. So uh, yeah, so we'll, we'll we'll keep on updating you on on the Black Mafia Family show uh, when we get information about it. But uh, the big news that we're breaking today is that Eminem is going to be a part of the ensemble cast and will play a role in the first season and will uh, be a, a part of a, a storyline connected to White Boy Rick. And he shot the scenes last week here in Detroit with uh, Fifty Cent and the whole crew. So looking forward to that. Let's. Uh, transition into a little news on the film front um i would say that it is um we are going to be getting two new highly anticipated mob films one fictional and one based on reality uh, the first one people know about I'm guessing if you're sopranos fan we have the uh saints of newark uh the many saints of Newark, which will be the sopranos prequel that will be in theory uh, will be in theaters and on h b o max this fall it was supposed to be dropping in the spring but uh they they pushed it so that's
1: done post production everything's
0: yeah, done everything's done okay And it's a story, uh, I believe, that spans 1968 to 1978. So you're going to get to meet all of the uh, OG Sopranos when they were younger, and then you're going to meet a lot of people that were referenced uh, in the the show, The Sopranos on HBO. You know,
1: it'll be interesting to see. Sorry to interrupt. It'll be interesting to see. There's going to be people like our age, older, a little bit younger, that are going to go see that because we're Sopranos fans. But it'll be interesting to see if younger people go see it and then and then go back and watch the Sopranos because You got I know with my students, they I mean they don't they you bring up the Sopranos and they're like, Oh yeah, my mom and dad watched that. Or or like, yeah, I tried to watch it, it was boring. You gotta think and like, the last episode was like, fifteen years ago.
0: Yeah, I know. It just it just seems it just seems like it'd be like if when we were teenagers you were talking about something that happened in the seventies. Yeah, Starsky
1: and Hutch. Yeah. <laughs> But but it doesn't, it, I don't know, it just seems like Sopranos should be more timeless than that, but it, I, I don't know. I, I the, agree with you. <laughs>
0: but it doesn't but seem, everyone has such a short attention span. These do, Yeah, everything that's true. Is so kind of immediate gratification. Nobody wants to go back and watch Sopranos or watch The Wire.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's too bad because the, the idea like, um, and, and like, uh, if it's not someone getting whacked every scene, this idea of like, well, it's too boring. I can't, I can't commit to this. Like, give it a shot. If yeah. you're a young person listening to this, you don't know what you're missing <laughs> if you've never watched The Sopranos or The Wire. like, yep. And and that's part of the character development, you know, and the story development. And and also, sometimes things have to hit their groove. So, like, I've had a lot of people tell me, younger people, I watched the first two or three Sopranos episodes and I couldn't get into it. Like, you, in order to get to seasons two, three, four, where it's, like, insanely good, you, you got to watch se- yeah. season one or you're not going to know what the fuck is going on. So, I, I don't know. I just—it
0: aggravates me yeah. <laughs> that more more younger people aren't are hip to the but this is a, So But for people, to just so they understand, this is a film. This isn't a television right. show. So, this is a 90-minute a, a or, or two-hour film that might eventually turn into a television show, I'm hearing. But there's no— uh, confirmation on that. But I that have heard rumors that this could be uh, viewed as a, this film could be viewed as a quote-unquote backdoor pilot to a, a television show starring. And, and we should tell people that just like with Black Mafia Family where Little Meach is playing Big Meech um, and, and this incarnation of The Sopranos, uh, James Gandolfini, R.I.P., the actor that played Tony Soprano so brilliantly and is dead, uh, died of a heart attack his son Michael is playing Tony Soprano as a teenager.
1: The, the uh, early feedback seems to be people are impressed. I've with, heard with I've heard amazing
0: things. Yeah, I've, that's I've, what I'm reading too. I've heard a lot of people. I've talked to a lot of people in um Hit the Siren guys. I've talked to a lot of people <laughs> in, Hol- bit in Hollywood that have seen uh <laughs> cuts of it. Cuts of the um <laughs> <laughs> cuts of the main many sense of Newark. Because of the many saints of Newark and uh are blown away by it. Yeah, that's what that's what I'm
1: uh reading too. Um you you made me laugh. Yeah. Wait, that was a, a reference to our former worker <laughs> partners <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> at one of their shows, one of our former collaborators. Um yeah, so I that'll that'll be interesting and I hope that this I hope it's good obviously, but I hope it inspires some younger people to go back or even just anyone who who didn't watch it when it originally came out. I suppose you don't have to be younger, but if, if
0: you didn't watch it when it first came out, I'm a um, little, watch it. I'm a little nervous about the casting of Billy Magnuson as Pauly Walnuts. Who is that? Remind me who that is. Uh well Polly Walnuts was the Well I know is, but, Sorry. <laughs> Polly <Paulie, Paulie laughs> Walnuts was uh, you know, uh Pauly who went by Polly Walnuts. Um James N- or sorry Billy Magnuson is a nordic looking actor who is funny he's been in a lot of things and he's funny in them G- one of the things that pops out in my head is uh, game night oh yeah oh yeah oh yeah that's a that's a good movie he's good in that um he's good in um i'm blanking on who something. does he play in that movie in game night yeah he plays one of the friends who's mar- who's uh, dating the irish girl Oh, God, I don't even
1: remember. I, I'm looking at images. I'm sorry. I hope he doesn't listen to this show. Because Billy Magnuson? <laughs> yeah.
0: Because I, I'm, it's, not, it's not ringing. Well, up. I hope Billy Magnuson is great as Polly Walnut. Sure. It's just, I don't know if that would be my first uh, choice as, as a character. I think he's, like, Swedish. No, I see what you mean. Yeah, he looks like um, like one of those Skarsgård yeah, right. guys. Um. But, no, Google... Uh, Jimmy's on his computer right now. Google... Uh, Paulie Walnuts, Many Saints in New York, and you'll see him in character.
1: Oh yeah, okay. So yeah, I see that the uh, he's the, sev- like the he's got the seven or like the. <laughs>
0: you, you could tell it's like seventies. Like yeah. The the guy who's playing Silvio looks just like Silvio, and that's kind of cool. And uh, Corey Stoll is playing Junior Soprano. I like Corey Stoll a lot. That'll be good. Uh, Ray Liotta's in it. What is he playing? I'm not sure who he's playing. Um, oh, actually, I do know who he's playing. He's playing Tony's grandpa. Oh, and do, but he's not. A, he wasn't He's supposed to be a wise guy. He's supposed to be. Oh, playing, he w- he was. But not. I think it's supposed to be Livia's
1: dad. Oh yeah, because I thought I always got the sense that that his grandfather, Soprano gr- grandfather, was not right connected with this. Right. Interesting. And what 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 was her maiden name again in the show? I don't remember. I don't remember either. Interesting and. So they would have been Neapolitan
0: too. Yeah. And then probably my all-time favorite, or not my all-time, my, my favorite up-and-coming leading man superstar, uh, John Bernthal. I'm just oh, yeah. a he's giant, great. giant John Bernthal fan. Um, he's playing uh, Johnny Boy Soprano. And then uh, Alessandro um, Alessandro Nivola is playing um, Dicky Moltisante, who was... One of Tony's mentors. So
1: Michael and, uh, Michael Imperioli's not in this at all. I thought I read that he was going to like, even though that doesn't doesn't make sense because he was in Sopranos. But I thought he was going to play his da- or play his
0: dad. Yeah, or something like that. Navola's no, right. uh, playing uh, okay, Dicky who's his, Dicky Moltisanti's referenced a bunch in the show, and his murders referenced a bunch in the show. And there's a a, a new sh- uh, screenshot from the set that was released of the murder of Dicky Maltese's character being on the ground and someone shooting him.
1: So we're going to find out for sure then whether the cop did it? Right,
0: exactly. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so is it going to bother you or anyone else out there that, now we're really geeking out on this, that the same characters that played Johnny and
0: Junior in the show are not recreating those characters in the... Well, on that note, <laughs> Joe Saravo, who played Johnny Boy Soprano, R.I.P., died yesterday. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. And I loved I loved Joe Seravo in The Johnny Boy oh, Soprano yeah, yeah, role. He was good. He was great. Yeah. And I loved Joe Seravo playing uh Tony Tagalucci's son oh, yeah. in Donnie Brasco. yeah. All the right. The one who's chasing Al Pacino at the end trying to kill him. No, Carlito's way. Carlito's way. Sorry, not Darn. Carlito. Right. Carlito's way.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah, so he I mean first of all, they they were going to they were going to go with a bigger name all due due respect But he might have been too old at this point to
0: recreate the Johnny Soprano character. Yeah, I I was. Those were probably my favorite scenes, or some of my favorite scenes from the Sopranos were those flashback, those flashback episodes where they were flashing back to the '60s, and you were seeing Junior and Johnny Boy. One of the most interesting episodes, and it was like non-gangster at all. It was just about like
1: emotion and like finding out that maybe your people you look up to. Had a lot of flaws or bad people, the episode um well, I'm just talking about like like morally, like the episode where Tony becomes friends with his father's oh, guma right and then when then he starts to think about like he kind of treated my mom like shit and and he starts having mixed feelings, <laughs> and that's a really good it's just a
0: great episode um well, the first time you meet johnny soprano he's he's cutting off a dude's hand, yeah. <laughs> I, or cutting off his fingers. Right, which is,
1: is part of the not to spoil too much yeah. but it's
0: part of the triggering for right. Tony's right. some of his issues and um, then the scene where where uh, the young Tony is following his dad and his uh sister to the carnival thinking that like oh it's a daddy daughter date when in reality it was just a yeah. a front for for Johnny boy to yeah. be you know selling swag out of the uh, out of the, the the carnival uh back door
1: yeah so it'll be it's it's going to be um interesting um and what about, like, um, you said Hesh is going to be a character? Because he, yeah, he was older like, than Tony. He yeah, would have Hesh. been, like,
0: a contemporary of Johnny's, yeah. right? Yeah. Which is why the people, a lot of people make the comparisons around here to Alan Hilf, who was, you know, this Jewish bookmaker that was very close to Tony and Billy Giacalone. And then when Tony and Billy Giacalone died, was very close to Jackie Giacalone. He Mentored the younger yeah, generation. Yeah, the way that Hash was close to Johnny Boyan Jr. And then became very close to Tony.
1: One thing I, I know
0: we're, I,
1: but whatever, we're, go, we're going down the Sopranos rabbit hole here, which is fine with me. One of the things, I, I don't know if this is a spoiler, but if it is, then pause it for a few seconds. <laughs> if you haven't watched the series yet, I don't think it's too bad. One of the things that I was, dis- let's just say I was disappointed with, we don't have to go into the details to avoid spoilers, the way the relationship with Tony and Hesh yeah. ended in that series, I thought was unfortunate.
0: Well, I, I don't know it, if that's but, the right way to put it, but, but, it, it, but it, it didn't sit right with me. It didn't sit right with me in a, in the way that, so let me unpack this for a second. It didn't <laughs> set, sit right to me in the sense that that's not the way that the character Tony should have treated Hesh. Yes, right. But it sat right to me in the sense that... Tony's that, a piece of shit. That Tony's an asshole. <laughs> right, yeah, that was a fair point. Right. Like I think maybe that was the point. Right. Yeah, we've, okay. We've talked about that. I think we've talked about that. At least we've talked about it off the air. I think we've talked about it on the air. Where I feel like David Chase um, was, was intentionally, over the last couple years of the show, trying to make Tony as unlikable as possible to see how much he could push the needle where people would still like him despite they shouldn't have liked him. Yeah. And I know for me, there was a certain point where, where I was just, I turned on Tony as a, as a fan because the first half of the show I rooted for him. And then there was a certain point where his character flaws were so evident and he was such a selfish son of a bitch when it came to like everything well, and, I was actually
1: rooting against him. And and the way they set it up and this was Tony's self-awareness was earlier on or the first half at least he was his point was I'm less bad than the other bad guys. Right. Yeah, yeah.
0: And and, and the narrative
1: sort I'm of bad guy that a heart. I'm
0: a bad guy I'm a bad guy with heart.
1: Right. And he's like uh you know I I only I only take my aggression out on people who are even worse than me and harm people who are even worse than me and then and then you're right later on in the series You start to think that that
0: that was a self-serving narrative on his part. He was a predator. I mean, (laughs) at at his rawest form, he was a predator. And, and, you know, the hash character was supposed to be someone that he could trust maybe as much as anyone as his family. And he starts extorting hash.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was I was surprised at that when that was like story
0: angle. Passively aggressively yeah. extorting him. Yeah, and he and
1: yeah, he um but it was sort of weird like he started his relationship started to strain with other characters too. We don't we don't have to get into it too yeah. much, but but hash wasn't the only one that that his relationship started to fracture. But I think you're right. That's what David Chase was 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 going for. But but, but I, anyhow, it it's, it'll be exciting. Yeah, and um you want to get into, you Let's, want to get into right into Coda? Yeah, then? let me
0: just drop one more piece of knowledge and then we're going to finish up with uh, the new Godfather 3 cut that's been out for a, uh, a couple months now. So, the other piece of um, movie news related to uh, real life mob stuff that you should know about is that there's a new movie that's going to be going into production soon that uh, is a retelling of the Tony Spilatro uh, story. Tony the Ant, the uh, legendary Chicago mob figure that went out to Las Vegas and wreaked havoc in the desert for 15 years before he was brutally murdered in 1986. Martin Scorsese uh, did the film Casino based on uh, Tony Spilatro changed the character's name to Nicky Santoro, but Joe Pesci played that character in a very memorable acting role. The best. And uh, at first I remember watching that movie as a kid, and my takeaway was, well, he's just copying his character from Goodfellas, but then you learn about... You no, know, or at least then I learned about Tony Spolatro, and I'm like, no, that's not what he was doing at all. There was actually a lot of nuance to you know the differences between the Nicky Santoro character and the Tommy D character from Goodfellas, and he actually you know hit it smack dab on the head in terms of depicting the way Spilatro was.
1: Remember, I'm we're, I'm dating myself here, but remember the SNL joke David Spade when he was yeah. like, uh, I just watched a Casino starring Pesci and De Niro directed by Scorsese, I liked it better the first time it was called Goodfellas, (laughs) which isn't fair. It's a funny joke. That's really funny. It's not fair, though, because they're very different movies. (laughs) But the point is well taken. I mean, it it is
0: funny. So uh, this movie is based on a script written by a guy by the name of Nick Selozzi, who was a young, aspiring actor, comedian... Uh, whose dad was uh, kind of a local television star in Chicago, uh, was a used car salesman. If if you're from Detroit, I would probably um, make the analogy to Mel Farr Superstar. You know, <laughs> yeah. when we were kids in the 80s and 90s, you know, you turned your television on and, like, every other commercial yeah. was – uh, a commercial for the Melfar. The song is dealership. popping in my head right yeah. now. Melfar for people who <laughs> know Melfar was a former uh, NFL running back. He'd have the cape on, remember? Yeah. Like he was a, like he was a superhero. <laughs> so Nick uh, Nixolosi Senior was one of the biggest uh, car dealers, I think, in the entire Midwest. Um, had a huge um, collection of dealerships in in um, Chicago, and one of them was. It, it it like sold more Cadillacs than any other dealership in the in the country or something, and his dad was a mob associate of some sort. I'm not saying that the dad was doing criminal activity, but the dad was doing a lot of business, or I should say the dad was doing a lot of socializing with wise guys, including Spilatro. And at some point, Nick Solozi Jr. is taken under the wing of Spilatro. Uh, I believe Salozi S- 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 Jr. had moved out to Vegas and was going back and forth between Vegas and, and L.A. Spilatro wasn't just in charge of the the, the strip um, in the desert in Las Vegas. He was also in charge of all of the Chicago mobs' West Coast affairs. So he had a lot of business in L.A. and was helping this Selozzi Jr. And it's kind of the story of the Spilatro's rise and fall as seen through the eyes of one of his friend's kids.
1: Well, Chicago had a deep history in California, L.A. Yeah.
0: yeah. So and they, they were able to get their foot in there more so than the New York guys. So Harvey Keitel's in it. He's playing Nick Selozzi Sr., the the used car salesman, or the car salesman, rather. Um, Emile Hirsch is going to play Nick Selozzi Jr. And then, to me, the, the quizzical hire here is... Uh, Paul Ben Victor as Tony Spilatro. Um He is Ben Victor is a longtime character actor. If you're someone who's a fan of, of mob movies, I'm sure you've seen him in in films before. Uh, he was actually in the Irishman. Um, but is a character actor. I don't see him as a lead. And, uh, I, I guess I'll have to wait to see, but this is an
1: indie film I'm assuming.
0: Yes, I don't think it's with a major studio. But still, you got Harvey Keitel, yeah, Emile yeah. Hirsch might not be huge now, but there was a point where Emile Hirsch, I mean, he, I think he's got an Academy Award nomination, Harvey Keitel's an icon. Yeah. I just thought you, you could get a better actor to play Spadro. But maybe I'm being disrespectful to Paul Ben Victor, maybe he'll he'll uh he'll shred in the role. I hope I hope for the sake of the film he does. Now, let's move on to Coda. So, Coda,
1: that uh, was released on Blu-ray and DVD, what, a few months ago? Was that a little before Christmas, before the holiday season? I'm right around New Year's, yeah. Um, and so, uh, Scott watched it right away. It took me a few months before should we t- I could tell people of what it is. Well, yeah, that's that's what I mean. Like, the, the the Blu-ray came out, and it's Godfather Coda, but it's actually... It's really Godfather Part 3, but it's... um. Coppola, he's made some, I would say, significant changes to it. I I think a lot of people disagree with that. But um, he rearranged some pivotal scenes. And um, I think he used some different shots. I mean, there's nothing major, different angles. And then he cut out a lot. I think he cut out at least 10 to 15 minutes of, um, including a significant scene that I I forgot to mention to see what you think about. Um, So it's it's, it's different. I mean, I, I don't know if I would say it's, it's a lot different, but it's significantly different. Does that make sense? Um,
0: it's you're right. the The, the changes they made r- really, I think, change or or alters context. Right. But the changes aren't so huge that every time you see a scene, you're noticing a change.
1: Right. It's not like the um, the geek out for a moment that Justice League Snyder cut, which I watched, which I thought was really good, but. That's, like, an 85 90% different film altogether. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, they're, they're, like, two or three major scenes repeated, and that's it. <laughs> Otherwise, it, I, I wasn't expecting, like, such a radically different film with the new Justice League movie.
0: That's not the case with Godfather. It opens, it opens with a totally different scene. Yeah, yeah. Which um, I think is a, a, a huge win for, for Scorsese right. and the recut. Coppola. cut that out mark but uh um, yeah uh, i i thought the 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 new opening scene was a real win for coppola um it it, again it, it it's better alters context and it sets the movie off with a tone and you have an understanding of where the film's going you know michael's quest for legitimacy and washing you know washing his his sins and his family's sins through the church and this time he's going to be doing it directly through the Vatican and and it's it, in the original cut you don't get that knowledge until like 40 45 yeah, yeah, minutes later, much later, the
1: movie right so let's talk about i guess the the, the real thing is to talk about Godfather 3 because there there's not a lot to talk about in terms of these changes other than what we just laid out but like it's it's a very divisive film. A lot of people hate it. I think Scott and I like it a lot more than most people. So regardless of which version you watch, Coda or Godfather 3, we'll just take a few minutes to talk about the things we like about it and maybe some concessions to the critics,
0: some no. parts that we think could have been better. And you also got to understand, it. You know, we're talking about putting things in context. Like. <laughs> How You get the two greatest movies of all time that you're trying to follow up with. Impossible. So it's like, even if you hit a Grand Slam, you're still going to be leaving people kind of wanting more because the first two were, if there's anything bigger than a Grand Slam, you know, the first two were so, so classic, so, so embedded in the fabric of Americana. Yeah. Um, So... Integral and and pivotal in, in launching the careers of the De Niro's and the Duvals and the Pacinos, uh, they didn't really exist before The Godfather. So it, there were so many things that you're up against when you you decide to reconvene uh, almost 20 years later and and do a third installment. So I I think it would be, it was very it would almost, it would have almost been impossible. To match your first two accomplishments, so so no matter how good of a job you did, you were always going to fall short.
1: Yeah, I think if you adjust your expectations, and I know some people will say, "Well, I shouldn't have to," whatever. You're, you're right as a viewer, audience member, whatever. But I, I, yeah, I always felt like I adjusted my expectations. I I just knew there's no way it could be as good as the first two, but that doesn't mean it's not interesting. Right. That doesn't mean it's not it's not you know entertaining and. Um, I think I mean some of the things that I like about it. We can we can start with that. Some of the casting that we like. I think both of us agree. Andy Garcia as Vincent
0: Mancini yeah. is great. I'll go to the grave fighting for the fact that that performance in Godfather Three, Andy Garcia's performance as Vincent Mancini, soon to be crowned Vincent Corleone, um, a Corleone, yeah, uh, is goes head to head, toe to toe with any performance in in the trilogy. Yeah, I agree. He's he's fantastic. It was like
1: uh, that was a real bright spot of the film. It, it it kind of breathed new life into the into the family, yep. both both theatrically and, and storyline. If
0: anything, I wanted more of.
1: You. No, I agree. Yeah, he was pretty charismatic. He he looked the part. He looked. I mean, it, you totally believe he's Sonny's kid. The yep. way he act, his look, the way he acted. So I think we both like that. Um, I like the the uh, Joey Zaza, Joe Joe Montagna. Yep. Um, I thought he was a good like, like we had in the other movies. You had Hyman Roth, Mo Green. You had Don Bazzini, You had these classic foils, bad guys, bad guys to the Corleone family, protagonists, and, and, right? Antagonists, antagonists, right? And he and I thought he did a great. If anything, again, there should have
0: been more of of him in in the film. Well, I, I think for me, I look at Godfather Three almost as two separate films, and I like really like one of those films <laughs> the other the other part of the film or the other film i'm not as big of a fan of and that I, to me is is my biggest critique or my my biggest issue so the godfather three you know all the stuff that takes place in america i really like I, I was really connected to that story yeah um the
1: second half is is less of garcia and less second, of Joe second
0: half. well montana's dead yeah, and then
1: Garcia... I was I wasn't gonna spoil that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but, yeah. And then the Garcias character kind of takes a backseat in in the uh, the move when the when the, the the scenes of the movie move to Sicily, and we have the entire uh, half of the movie that's in the, in another country. And uh, other than the decision by the the Vincent character to break off his relationship with uh, with Michael's daughter. Um, he there's no real there's there's nothing really at stake for him until the very end when when he becomes the new Don, and I mean it's actually part of the
1: narrative. It's supposed to be that way because the point is now Michael's taking him under his wing, and and Michael pretty much makes a point of you need to shut up and listen now, and that's what he does. But in some ways, that's not as interesting cinema, right? So so it's on purpose that he that he's more in the background in the second half of the film. Cause the point is early on he's impulsive, mm-hmm. but, but that's what makes him more of a compelling yeah. <laughs> character gangster. And then the point is Michael wants him to take a back seat and listen and learn. And he does, but uh, in some ways it's, it's not as, it's not as interesting. Um, but, uh, otherwise I think, I think the, the casting was really good. I, I, I like that Talia Shire and Diane Keaton are in it again. Yep. I mean, if anything, Diane Keaton, you know, maybe a little bit more like that. The scenes with her and, Al Pacino, I think, they they really reminded me of the early films. They mm. made me want to watch the early films again. They have a real chemistry
0: together. Tally Shire's good in it. She oh, kinda, she's yeah, she's, she kind of takes on a a more alpha role yes. in three than she did in two, and then in one, right. she's just kind of a, right. a a punching bag,
1: right, literally. And but yeah. but she's abused by by her right. hu- husband at the time. But uh, it's interesting because it, th- there is some of that foreshadowing in a way at the end of two. Right when she says, "I want to take care of you, Michael," and and and, and you don't necessarily know she's going to, she's going to get in a gangster shit, but there, but there's a sense that they're going to reconnect, and 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 she's going to be essentially the matriarch of the mm-hmm. Corleone family because he breaks with Kay, who's Diane Keat, right? He, he they split up, and so in some ways it makes sense that she's, for all intent and purpose, the the matriarch of the of the Corleone well, she family. Great, she has some great lines in it too. Now yeah.
0: they'll fear you.
1: Yeah, maybe they should fear you. <laughs> but that's what I was going to say. A scene that's cut out, and at least I watched it a few nights ago, as far as I can recall, is the scene in the church where Garcia says he wants to hit Joey Zaza, and then finally Connie comes in and she goes, "Just do it." Right. That wasn't a good scene, and that yep. wasn't in. That's not in the coda, which I don't know what Coppola's logic was taking that out. But um, but that that was an example of her like getting directly involved, not not just sort of like
0: wielding power behind the scenes. I'll tell you one casting that I didn't love, and I told you this off the air. I didn't love Eli Wallach as Ozzy Altobello.
1: Yeah, that one doesn't bother me as much, but he was I was okay. See.
0: I mean he was not he wasn't bad. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. And then this is this is a an old complaint that maybe has no relevancy. But I mean, Eli, Eli Wallach's a Jew. I'm a Jew, but <laughs> I, I I don't know. I, I would have liked to see an Italian actor playing Ozzy Altobello.
1: Yeah, I mean, but I mean, Mo Green, an Italian guy, right. who played Mo Green, and you know, no, but Mo Green was that wasn't a tan guy who played a Jew, right? Italian guy played a Jew, and right. James Caan, right, wasn't a Jew who played a Jew. Yeah, Italian. so it can be done, but yeah. maybe it just wasn't done as well with, with um, and then or uh, even
0: or even if it was like a Jewish actor like a Jerry Orbach, who I loved as you know, obviously he's great as Lenny Briscoe, the cop in Law and Order, but there was other movies where he plays. A, a mob boss. He looks I, like an Italian I, I always guy. Li- yeah. <laughs> I would have liked Jerry Orr back in that Yeah, role. He,
1: he, looks, he looks Italian. If you're going
0: to go the Jewish route.
1: Right. Yeah, I mean, I guess we can go into some of the things that we agree with the critics. So some of the casting, like, obviously, the elephant in the room here, Sofia Coppola. But I, I
0: see that to me is is an overrated critique. She wasn't amazing, but she was, I thought she was good. It doesn't, I didn't think it, it doesn't ruin
1: the film. I mean, some people actually like you, like you can't even you film can't film. even watch yeah. it because she's so bad. I, I actually I, think I she's kind of she's kind of sexy. She looks great. Yeah. No, I agree. She looked. She, I mean, I, I will give you that. When I watched it again, and I was, I was like, "Is it going to be as bad as as everyone says?" And I remember, and the first thing that I noticed was she absolutely looks like she could be Michael's daughter. Mm-hmm. I mean, she she is very Italian princess looking, and I was like, "Okay, like she definitely looks the part." And and then, but the the more <laughs> the more scenes she's in, right? Then I started to see. Okay, I I can I, I can see why uh, you know some of the critics. Um, she, she's not. I just do not think she was
0: horrible. No, uh, I thought she was good. I can see that I, I thought she 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 handled it. She carried her weight. I didn't think it, it was the. You know, the, the people made it seem like it was it was blasphemy. You know, it, yeah. it was. It, it was the the stone or the rock that, that brought the the film down. To Winona Ryder was originally
1: right. cast as as Mary. I think she would have been better. I love Winona Ryder. But, I mean, I, I would say Sofia Coppola definitely looks more like she could be Michael's daughter than Winona Ryder. But Winona Ryder is just a better actor. The George Hamilton casting is very controversial. I mean, I, I, again, I would say it's, I don't think he's horrible. It's just like it's but just what, so underwhelming. But what were you going to do? It's though? so underwhelming. What were
0: you going to do if you're Coppola? Now, if it's me... I pay Duval. I pay Duval what he wants of to do. Of course, get
1: paid. that was the studio, though, right? That I don't know. That would have been I'm, the blame yeah, for I'm that. I'm not
0: sure who who decided that because they lowballed him. Right. And he it was, was
1: in a, the original script. He's in.
0: He's I mean, in a there. whole There's a whole like a, a story arc right. that that you you get you don't get to get to see because right. they, they, they they had they wrote to take it out because right. they didn't want to give. They didn't want to give George Hamilton th- those lines in that role. They wanted Right, because that would have made it. sense, right? Yeah, yeah.
1: He's literally just an attorney. He's, and, he
0: plays the role that, that, that Tom Hagen played.
1: Yeah, but he's not as gangster, though, as Tom, <laughs> as Tom Hagen was, you know. But it's but, clearly an attempt to replace no, like, Tom Hagen. Like Tom Hagen, like, now I say yes. There's more potential in yeah. narcotics. We control the unions. We control the gambling. <laughs> Now, narcotics is the thing of the future. Right? They don't have those kind of conversations no. with George Hamilton. Because <laughs> George Hamilton's <laughs> a lightweight and Robert Duvall's a heavyweight. Right, right. But so that could have been that they should have worked they should have worked that they out. They should have paid Duvall. Or yes. just or just not have
0: the character. Yeah, right. Right. Because right. all they did was, I'm telling you, all they did was cut a you know a huge part of the character's uh, storyline lines script lines and story arc and then reworked the stuff that was already there and just changed you know from Tom Hagen to BJ Harrison that was the name of the character I think
1: yeah and and um the other thing I guess we could say in terms of criticism and I think Scott's already acknowledging this um I do like this having a subplot about corruption in the Vatican, because that's real. The Vatican bank was laundering money for the Sicilian mafia. That's absolutely true. Um, so I don't mind that kind of political intrigue, financial scandal. I guess the question is, do they go too far with it? And it, and does it, does the movie start to get bogged down in like this? Um, I say, yes. Yeah. But the, I like, because then it really turns into a movie about that. I like the storyline. Yeah.
0: You know, in a vacuum, I like that storyline. Yeah. Um I think it 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 perfectly encapsulates what th- there's so much that I think it that it echoes from the canon, the mythology of of the Godfather about the Michael character desperate for legitimacy and and embarrassed by his family and his history, yeah. and wanting to cleanse through the church, and this is the ultimate cleansing. You're going directly through the Vatican. You're you're puppeteering uh, uh, the, the 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 new selection of the pope.
1: Yeah, but but also the the but that it turns out that, that he's dealing
0: with dirtier players than right. even he is. Right. Um, so which, I love that, which just, is true. I just didn't like how it, like you said, it, it started to dominate the the storyline and the back end of the movie where I just didn't think they integrated it in the best way yeah. or the most natural way with the other storylines at play. And it just kind of got, cause you think jarbled in, and a little bit, um, uh, overshadowing the more important things that I yeah, it really
1: envelops. Because yeah. when you think of Godfather two, when they go to Havana, Havana, like it's just part of, it's still about the Corleone family. <laughs> It doesn't turn into a movie about Cuba, about Batista, yeah. right? It doesn't turn into a movie about that. Whereas in *Godfather* three, it starts to turn into a movie about Vatican, Vatican corruption, corruption, more so than the, the
0: Corleone family. Which I, I agree, they, they, that the Cuban revolution been done was better. A, the Cuban revolution was a, a, an integral side piece to that yeah, story, right? But it didn't become the story the way that the, the Vatican corruption did in, in three.
1: Right, and and just like maybe I'm nitpicking here, but. God damn that scene in the opera just goes on oh, for I mean it's God. almost like watching the whole it's a four, fucking it's opera. A
0: 45 minute <laughs> scene
1: <laughs>
0: cuz I I hadn't,
1: I hadn't watched the movie in years. I've seen it a few, two or three times before but I, it had been quite some time and I was like damn this and, and he shaved off 10 15 yeah. minutes I thought this opera scene just is going I mean you literally watch almost the whole opera. Yeah. Um and you know that was his big thing he you know is kind of a pretentious high, high (laughs) highbrow, he likes the opera. So he, that was on purpose, right? He wanted, he wanted like it to take place. And his whole thing was a metaphor. And it's like happening at the same time as an actual opera. So I get it like poetic, whatever, but I'm not sure that it works for,
0: for a movie like that long. So my, Jimmy and I talked about this off air, but I want to voice my, probably my biggest critique of the film is that the first two movies did such an amazing job of capturing the era that they oh, were yeah. taking place, whether we're talking costuming or, or set de- set decoration. Um, the cars. The third movie is like, the movie was released in 1990, The third movie is like it takes place in 1990 when in reality it's taking place in 1979. (laughs) You can't tell, right? Which they tell you, uh, well, at least in the first movie they told you. Yeah, they don't in this one. They don't tell you what time period it is in the coda. But in the first film when it's opening, um, it says New York 1979. Or there's a newspaper that's announcing this award that Michael Corleone's getting at this party. And the, the date on the newspaper is 1979. So... And I think that's a. It was a huge missed opportunity because that era of the American Mafia, uh, late seventies, early eighties, was a time that I thought was rich mm-hmm. in, in just the way people dressed, the the way that the, the, the aesthetic of the country, yeah, um, was a rich palette to 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 paint yeah. from. But also, it it was a representative of this changing of the guard in the American mafia that you're seeing in the Corleone family. Mm-hmm. So you're seeing, you know, the 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 Vincent Mancini character who's representing the 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 new yeah. the new regime which there were a lot of guys in yeah. New York City and other parts of the country, these young guys in the late 70s that were the books were finally being yeah. opened. The books at that uh, the you know, the making ceremonies had been shut down in New York for like 15 years. Um, and then all of a sudden in the mid 70s the commission decides to open the books and between 1975 and 1980, there are hundreds of young mobsters that are get they get their button and that are shading the the, the direction of the mob and the current, State of the mob then is being shaded by this new generation where, you know, you have a lot of the 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 the, the real OGs that are either dying or going into retirement. And I just thought it, w- it would have been such a um, if they would have really captured that era of the late 70s in New York City with, you know, a lot of the old dons dying and uh, a lot of the new newcomers um, staking their claim. It just—I thought it could have really enhanced the 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 story that
1: was. Vincent Mancini is sort of the the John Gotti, Joey Massino yeah. kind of era, and and Michael Curley owns the Paul <laughs>
0: Castellano. Like you know, he's got a club because he says, you know, you should come down to the club. Yeah, yeah, and he's got a crew. Yeah, but you don't really see—you see little glints of it, but nothing. There should have been a scene in a disco that 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 Vincent runs. Like, there should have been a scene where there's cocaine of some sort being sold or. Yeah. Because that was a big, even though that was, and that's again, that's kind of, that would have kind of been um, bookending or, or what's it called? Uh, yeah. Bookending. Like, you know, n- from, no, another thing
1: I'm nitpicking on is like, they go, they go right back to Michael Corleone's thing about, we're not dealing drugs. That was already settled in the earlier movies. Right. They were selling, like that, yeah. that was already, like that was already settled. Like they kind of retconned like. But I thought it would have been cool if you Because even in Godfather 2, the congressional hearing, they said the Corleone family, you control narcotics yeah. and gambling throughout the United States. And and then obviously in part one, they... they... And, Clement, and it's
0: implied that Clemenza was OD'd.
1: Oh, yeah. I'd, I, I never thought about that. Oh, and yeah. It, he's like, yeah, that was no accident. That was no... Pan, Pantantilly.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, I, I don't know. But I mean, I guess we're if anyone's listening to this that hasn't seen the film yet, you're probably thinking, well, I guess I'm not watching that film because we've, we, we've kind of made it seem like the, the negatives outweigh the positives. I would still watch it.
0: Watch it just for Andy Garcia's performance.
1: Yeah. yeah. As Vincent Mancini. And, and if you love, if you love those characters, like the other side says, well, it was blasphemy and I just want to stick with one and two because I don't want it ruined. I disagree. I say, if you love those characters, especially Michael, Kay, Connie, and, um, uh, I think those were the only 3 repeat I mean major characters. I mean there's a couple like the fucking Baker or whatever. But like if you love those characters and you love the family, the story, it's worth watching just to see what how it updates. That's why I read the I read the I've read all the um novelization. Yeah, you know the, the, these are official Mario yeah. Puzo estate um Godfather Returns, Godfather's Revenge. Weingart. Weingart, Yeah, Corleone family which is uh Falco that's uh yeah. Carmela's uh uncle. I don't know if you, you knew that. Edie Falco's uncles wrote that. Just a coincidence, but um, it it just—I'm not saying the books are outstanding, but it just—if you like the characters and the fam, like it's interesting to read other
0: stories, watch other stories that are happening in that universe, beyond one and two. And just as I as I said a while back in this podcast, that I would put Andy Garcia's performances, Vincent Mancini, up against any of the performances by any of the actors um, in The Godfather trilogy yeah I agree. i'm not saying he was better than no, or better than of Niro, but i think he's on par with that performance yeah. and i will also go further and say that i'm not gonna spoil this but i'll say there's a scene early in the movie with andy garcia and bridget fonda oh it's great. In bed when uh when when guys break into the house and try to kill him and it's about a five minute scene again i'll put that scene up against any scene in the entire trilogy
1: He's great. I mean, even the scene in the, in the, when they have the, they have, it's, it's, it's kind of a sit down and, uh, he's like, uh, I would just kill this guy right now. <laughs> yeah. He's like,
0: let kill him. <laughs> what does this have to and do they- with me? And then uh, maybe the last thing we'll touch on that is a, 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 was a controversial scene that I'm was totally in favor of. And I thought still played well, um, 30 years later was the scene in Atlantic city Oh yeah, that's a cool scene. Yeah. I, I love that scene. Some yeah. people thought it was over the top. Yeah. or and it I don't is. Know why it is? But, <laughs> but it's interesting. It's th- fun to watch. Yeah, I thought, and I thought it played out well. And then he, the orange, you know, the oranges, which yeah, are yeah. In, which are yeah, in of all course. the movies. Yeah, the right motif. Before, yeah, um, yeah. So, um, lemme, I, lemme, yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, the last thing I'll say is, you know, when I was talking about book ending, you know, you had the early, you know, uh, early part of Godfather, the original, with Sonny and, and Vito Corleone. Uh, de- you know, debating on whether or not to, to bring the family into narcotics. And then it was kind of touched on throughout, lightly touched on over the next couple movies. But it just, I thought it would have been cool if then the Vincent character is convincing Pacino that we need to go into drugs cool. yeah. the way that Sonny was trying to convince. Yeah. that would have been realistic. Right, That's right, really it would have been realistic. <laughs> and it would have been a cool kind of right. drugs right. position between no, what was supposed point. to be 1979 and then what was supposed to be, I think at that time, 1946.
1: So le- let me let me blow your mind here and let me see what you think. And Scott's got all sorts of Hollywood connections and we'll see if we can make this happen. And if somebody takes this idea, I'm going to come back to this podcast and, and sue them because this is my idea. You know, I want more. And people, Oh no, you can't touch Godfather, one or two. I don't care. I want more. I love the characters. I want more movies. I want more books. I want... A TV show with Vincent, with Andy Garcia as the lead, as Vincent, taking place sometime in the 2000s, and it's all new stories, all new, ca- all that new characters. That would be epic. <laughs> that would be so epic. That'd be fucking That'd
0: badass. Be so epic. <laughs> and like you For know, people that don't know, there was talk at the end of Puzo's life, uh, in the early 2000s, that they were going to do a four, and that Godfather four would be uh kind of like the way 2 was going back and forth between two eras it would be going uh back and forth between the 80s 9 early late 80s early 90s with the Vincent character as the boss uh and then in the 30s with Sonny being played by uh Leonardo DiCaprio uh and seeing the rise of Sonny in the 30s and then the rise of Vincent in the 80s and 90s.
1: So if you said it in, in sometime in the 2000s maybe not 2021 but at some point in the 2000s Andy Garcia is a, pretty much the same age Vincent uh, would be. Right. Yeah. And, and that time, 60s. be awesome. Wouldn't that be fucking bad? Oh, would be <laughs> awesome. So, Scott's going to talk to his Hollywood people. Yeah. And
0: we're going to see. Got to get in with <laughs> the, the, the Godfather estate. Yeah.
1: And, yeah. I want to be uh, executive a uh, and... producer, co producer on this. So, uh, you want to wrap fun. up? Yeah. This was fun. So, thanks everyone for uh, listening to the Original Gangsters podcast. We're on Spotify, we're on iTunes, we're on Google Podcast. Uh, we're up and running now. Uh, Look for these uh, episodes. Please uh, follow us on Instagram, Facebook. Uh, Follow us on Twitter and um, shout us out. Like it, spread the word, and uh, that way we can keep on bringing you more content. I'm Jimmy Bucciolato signing off. Scott Bernstein, out.